worship this morning uh, some words in the book of Revelation. I'll read them for you. It's the chorus of heaven, the angels worshiping and adoring our Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We're going to sing to God's praise from Psalm 100. The B version of Psalm 100, uh, Psalm 100B, this well-known song of praise that Christ's church has sung through the centuries. will shout for joy unto the Lord, all on the earth that be, who gladly serve the Lord and come to him, sing joyfully. Let's praise God together. <coughs> All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, himself with mirth his praise foretell. Come ye before him and God indeed, without our aid he did us make, we are his flock, he taught us feed, and for his sheep he doth us take. Oh, enter then his gates with praise, approach with joy his courts unto, praise Lord and bless his name always, for it is a seemly for why the Lord our God is God, His mercy is forever sure, His truth at all times firmly and shall from age to age endure. Well, let me just in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these wonderful words we've been able to sing in praise to you. We rejoice that though we are not able to be together physically, yet we're able to unite our hearts and lives in the worship of you today, not only with our church family in Woodstock and friends, but with your people scattered across this whole earth, we love the name of Jesus Christ. We rejoice, mighty God, and the great God that you are, the God who knows us, the God who sees us, the God who has made us and made all things in the might and in the power of your word. We rejoice that in your great grace that we are sheep in your flock today, 
that you've awakened us unto life and given us faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in your great mercy. We rejoice in your goodness to us since we were last able to worship you together. We thank you for all your provision for us in our lives, that all of your purposes and plans have been unfolding even in these very strange times in which we live. We thank you that your truth has remained the same, that your faithfulness has endured. How we thank you, Father, when we are so conscious of change all around about us and things not the same, yet you, O oh God, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We come to worship you, mighty God, in and through the name of your Son today, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. That there is no other mediator but the one whom you've appointed, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for him today. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for his offering up of himself on the cross that our sins would be atoned for. We thank you that there he satisfied your holy justice. We thank you that there your love and mercy and truth and kindness and grace all met together. And we thank you that in him there is no condemnation for all who are in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would pardon us our sins, Lord, there are many. Forgive us our fretting. Forgive us our lack of focus on you. Forgive us our lack of trust. Forgive us our fears and our worries. And we pray that our worship uh, in this time together and later and our worship of you, of you throughout your day would recalibrate us for the, the week ahead in the calling of life that you set us in the midst of. Hear our prayer and bless us, we pray. Bless those who would listen later to the recording of this time of worship. And, that, and we pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and lifted up. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to read for us a short passage in Isaiah chapter 42 and then also a few words in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 12. You may want to have both of those open. You may wish simply to listen as I read it for you. First of all in Matthew, sorry in Isaiah chapter 42, in Isaiah 42 and we hear God's word from the opening verse. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, 
to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I, I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And just a few verses in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12 and verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than sheep? So it, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Bruised reed he will not break, and smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Well, this morning we're continuing our little series that we've been looking at. Uh, comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. And we're looking together at some of the, these wonderful uh, words of comfort that are dotted throughout the, the book of Isaiah, and in particular, in the latter part of Isaiah. And this morning we're coming to Isaiah 42 to look today at these opening four verses. Behold, my servant. The, the first dog that we had in our home, uh, he was a Labrador Collie Cross. Uh, not like our present little house dog, he was a real dog. Uh, and he was my dog. And he was very friendly. And when the children were small, they could have sat on his back and held his ears like a, a set of reins that he wouldn't bother at all. But as he grew older, his vision became cloudy, and with that cloudy vision, he became more fretful and would bark at a leaf blowing and anyone who dared to come round to the back of the house. But his barking would stop in an instant when he heard my voice. Uh, his master's voice was enough to reassure him that everything was well. And I often thought about that and how it was a bit parable like. Uh, of us as the people of God. Uh, often in our lives, our vision is cloudy. We don't see things as we ought to see them. And we can be fearful and frightened, our view hazy, and we need the calming voice of our master. And that's what these words of Isaiah 42 are today. They are our master, the Lord, speaking to his fretful people. Initially, it was his fretful people 
in the 8th century BC as he spoke to them through his prophet Isaiah. Their view was cloudy. There were terrifying circumstances around them. There were so many unknowns before them. And Isaiah was called to bring to them the word of God. He had brought to them a word of warning. And in particular in the latter part of the book of Isaiah, he brings a word of comfort to the people of God to reassure them. And those assuring, comforting tones of God come to a climax in the latter part of Isaiah in what are called the servant songs. There are a number of them in this latter part of Isaiah. And these are particular portions that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see, Christ today will be blessed. If someone listens who's not yet a Christian, this passage is designed to, to draw you to the, to the wonder of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to draw you to trust him. Or if you're a struggling Christian listening to this and feeling the weight of the present circumstances and fretful, this is to lift you, to reassure you, and to correct our vision. Isn't it interesting that when God's covenant community was fearful, that the Lord gave them a much needed direction, behold my servant. And that's what we're going to do for a little while just now as you look at these verses. Behold God's servant. First of all, Jesus, God's servant, is who we're looking for. Jesus, God's servant, is who we are looking for. This chapter begins with a wonderful call from heaven, a command from God, direction for your life and mine today. Behold, my servant. Word behold has, a, has an intensity to it. Stop what you're doing. Focus on this. Rivet your attention on this. Of course, in the book of Isaiah, the word servant is used in different ways. In chapter 41, we saw it previously that Israel was called God's servant. But this command is not to focus our attention on Israel as a nation. Cyrus, who will appear in this latter part of Isaiah, was God's appointed deliverer. When Isaiah was writing, Cyrus was yet to come, and he would be God's servant. So that God's people could go back to the, the promised land after their captivity. But this was not a call to focus on him either. We read in Matthew 12, and Matthew 12 makes it crystal clear that this passage is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus Christ was saying, this is about me. So we should note this is a call to rivet our attention on Messiah Jesus. And it's interesting that it comes in contrast to a behold statement that has just been stated by Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 29, just a few, just a verse before, God had said, Behold, they are all a delusion. Their, their works are nothing. The people had sadly become preoccupied with the idols of the nations and God was saying, stop following those idols and now let your life be riveted on, the, on, the, on my servant, 
being riveted on those idols brought sadness and brought the judgment of God. This was a call to a new preoccupation or a renewed preoccupation. Behold my servants. And you'll see in the second line of this that this servant is unique. My chosen in whom my soul delights. And God was saying to his people, I delight in this servant who from Isaiah's perspective was to come. I delight in him. Make him your delight. And so the command comes to us today as well. As God the Father delights in his Son, whom he's chosen for this great work of saving sinners, we're to make him our focus and our delights. So in this contrast with the previous behold, uh, where the people were beholding idols, and now this call to behold God's servant, God was saying, keep your mind on my servant. Everything else destroys and leaves empty and consumes. My servant, from Isaiah's perspective and time, he was, he was going to come to the world and he was going to be consumed on the cross so that we could have salvation and we are to fill the horizon of our thinking with him. He's the one men and women are looking for. We could say to men and women today, well, will wealth suffice in an intensive care unit? Will looks, the idol of many, suffice when a loved one has died? Will, will fame suffice for, for meeting God? Behold my servant, God says, look to Christ and be saved all the ends of the earth. And the same call comes to all who know Jesus Christ. Behold my servant. And this week, whatever it will unfold for us, Here's to be our preoccupation. Here's what we've asked God to help us with. Behold his servant. But then secondly, as we reflect on these words, Jesus, God's servant, is fully equipped. God's calling us to that his son would be our constant preoccupation. Well, we could ask legitimately, well, is he equipped to be someone that we could focus our lives on and behold and contemplate and rivet our attention on? Well, look at our passage. We're told, behold my servant whom I uphold. That's what God the Father was saying about his son when he would come to earth and take human form. I'll uphold him. The word in the original, the phrase in the original language is strong. It's to, it's to grip fast. And so God had a firm hold on his son who took human flesh. What a demanding task was to be the task of the servant of the Lord. It was a task to purchase and to save a great number of sinners. How demanding. How demanding for it would be to keep the law perfectly and to resist temptation. How draining this task was for him to love God and to love sinners perfectly. You remember how we see him in the gospel on one occasion exhausted in the stern of a boat in the midst of a storm. How heavy the load was bearing the sins of many aware the judgment of God was to fall on him sweating great drops of blood at the prospect of what was ahead. 
What a task to die in the place of sinners, to absorb the holy wrath of God for a, a great company of sinners like you and me. And to do that, the eternal Son of God took a human body and a reasoning soul yet without sin. And he was equipped in his human nature. I have put my spirit upon him. And the gospel tells us how this upholding of God was the reality for, for Jesus Christ. Father sent the, son, sent the Spirit to uphold him in his human nature for this great work. The Holy Spirit, in, uh, in the, by the Holy Spirit, he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. As he grew up and grew in stature and in favor with God and man, his life could be seen as one constant, perfect, bursting forth of the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He endured all the temptation in the wilderness by the power of the Spirit. He endured the cross and the mighty strength of the Spirit. He was raised to life after death by the Holy Spirit. He would say himself, quoting Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's why we read in the Gospel, for example, in, in Mark 7 and 37, when people looked at the life of Jesus Christ, they were forced to confess, he's done all things well, because in his human nature, he was upheld as God the Father sent forth his Holy Spirit. Christian, we should see how real our comfort is as we behold the Holy Spirit, as we hold Jesus Christ uh, upheld by the Holy Spirit. He is everything that, that he needed to, to do his task upon this earth. He is everything he needs to finish the task. Task of taking all his elect home to heaven, the task of ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. Behold, my servant. And if anyone would listen who's not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you should realize about this about Jesus Christ, thoroughly equipped for his task, his task to save sinners, so that there was nothing and there is nothing that needs to be done. His life upheld by the Spirit so that he completely kept the law in the place of sinners. His life so completely upheld by the Spirit that he went to the cross and laid down his life so that the holy love and justice of God could be satisfied and he would cry, it is finished. Behold my servant, fully, thoroughly equipped for his work. Thirdly, Jesus Christ, God's servant, is gentle and patient. Jesus Christ, God's servant, is gentle and patient. Look at verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that this was exactly how Jesus Christ went about his short ministry. Without fuss, he did all that 
the Father required of him. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had no money of his own. Just a little band. Nothing that you would have looked at to, that he would look as, as, as out of the ordinary. He did not lift up, cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. His kingdom was of a different nature than the kingdom of men. It would advance slowly and quietly like the seed planted in the ground, growing in the power of God. Never did he call attention to himself. If there had been Facebook in his day, he wouldn't have been interested at all in the number of likes on his page. Never did he engage in just simply winning an argument for argument's sake. He went about his ministry in perfect, calm confidence on his God and his Father in heaven. And that's how the Christian is to go about their life. In that same quiet, calm confidence in God and our Father in heaven. If you look at verse 3, we see something of, of the gentle way of Christ being unpacked a little further. A bruised reed you will not break. A faintly burning wick he'll not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. It's just a way of describing how Jesus Christ went about his ministry when he was upon this earth and goes about the spread of his kingdom just now. A bruised reed he will not break. Think of a little green stick. It's been swaying back and forth in the wind and it's close to breaking. Maybe that's a picture of you today. Beaten back and forth by the winds of every news broadcast. A sense of the pressure and vulnerability. And as you think of your life, you, you feel it's a... It's about to snap. Well, we're reassured here that Jesus Christ is not in the business of breaking bruised reeds. If someone's not a Christian and listening to this, maybe that's a picture of you, a, a, a bruised reed, someone who feels about to break. You've been realizing your sin and realizing your guilt before God. Well, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has that message that Jesus Christ is not going to lay any great weight on you of, of doing some great deed to win his favor. No, rather, he says, I've done everything for the salvation of sinners. Come, believe in me, and be pardoned. For what of the Christian? Is it not a picture often of our lives, a bruised, Read. Some of God's people can be bruised and feel a sense of vulnerability, burdened by their past. Things of our past that still haunt us and we regret so deeply. Or our burden and our bruising can be the, the circumstances of the present, that we long to be different. And our Savior is not going to break a bruised reed. He's gentle. 
and he's gracious. Or look at the picture of the next little bit of, of wonderful Hebrew poetry, as it were, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's maybe a little bit more difficult for us to, uh, to think about. It's obviously the, the picture of a, a candle that is burnt down or a lamp that is burnt down and there's a faintly burning wick. It's just got a little glimmer of life, as it were, in it. Anybody feel like that? Anyone feel as if they're just hanging in there? Well, Jesus Christ, this great servant of the Lord, is not going to wet his fingers and snuff us out. Remember how he went about his work in the gospel. You remember that faint burning wick of the life of a young woman that he met at the well. Her life just barely glimmering. And as he speaks to her, she's increasingly seeing the reality of the brokenness of her life. But he doesn't quench her. Rather, he gives to her life in all its fullness. Or think of his dealings with Peter, so burdened by his denials of Jesus Christ, so burdened that his life, his spiritual life, is but a little glimmer. He's denied his Savior as he cast off. The Savior didn't snuff him out, but blew gently upon him with his word and by his spirit and brought him into a great glowing light of the gospel. This is the servant of God. He is gentle and patient. We should pray for one another that this would be our experience of him in these days, that all of God's people would know the working of this gentle, patient servant of God in their lives. Fourthly and finally, Jesus, God's servant, is completely successful. Completely successful. You have noticed a number of things that have jumped past thus far. In verse 1, at the end of it, we're told, he'll bring forth justice to the nations. In verse, the latter part of the third verse, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Or in verse four, till he's established justice in the earth. What would be the task of this great servant of the Lord? Well, we're not left in any doubt. It was to bring forth justice. That would be the, the commission of this servant whom God would send from heaven and would come in the fullness of time, bring forth justice. In the scriptures, that has a variety of meanings. From Isaiah's perspective and the message of Isaiah at one level, this justice that this servant of the Lord would would bring and would proclaim would be that the nonsense of idols that many had turned to and there would be there would be justice as men and women would see the one true God as God's judgment would fall on the nations and as God's judgment would would fall out even amongst his own covenant community. So the servant of the Lord bringing justice is Men and women seeing that there's one true God. 
And the servant of the Lord is still doing that. He's sending out his spirit across the world. He's convicting men and women of sin and judgment and righteousness, showing the nonsense of the idols that they cling to and showing that there's the one true God. He brings forth justice. But it's in Matthew 12 that we get to the heart of this message of justice that this wonderful servant of the Lord would bring forth. When Jesus quotes the words of Isaiah, he quotes them uh, from the Septuagint version. As Matthew records it, he quotes it from the Septuagint version, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. And there at the end of the quotation, he says, he brings justice and victory in his name, the Gentiles hope. And that's the justice that Isaiah was speaking forth here, or that we read of in Isaiah. That's what Jesus Christ did. He brought forth the justice of victory over sin and Satan and death. He satisfied God's holy justice by paying for the sins of many. God had decreed the death that death was the punishment for sin, and Jesus Christ came and took it, and justice was satisfied. And when sinners believe in Jesus Christ, there is full and free pardon, and it is the most perfect, just act of God, because Jesus Christ has borne the sin that sinners deserve. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5 and 26 that God is just and the justifier of all who have faith in Jesus Christ. So God's servant was completely successful. No one would stop him and no one will. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. What a wonderful prophetic statement of the work of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't grow faint. He wouldn't be discouraged till he'd established justice in the earth. That's the work of Jesus Christ. And it's his work that's still going on and nothing is hindering him not coronavirus, not the nations being shut down, not the church no longer at present to meet publicly. Jesus Christ is still building his church and beautifying his bride. So we don't need to be discouraged in these difficult days, but to rejoice in Jesus Christ, who's not growing faint or being discouraged. But he's establishing justice in the earth. And he'll finish his task. Will you notice as we finish how these four verses end? And the coastlands wait for his law. It's more literally the isles wait. The islands wait. And the word that's used there, translated coastlands or isles in other versions, it was first used in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 5 in connection with the sons 
of Japheth, descendants of Noah. And in chapter 9 and verse 27 of Genesis, we read these words that Japheth will come to dwell in the tents of Shem. It was a prophecy from the very earliest days that the Gentiles would be evangelized and that Jew and Gentile together would come to know the true Messiah was coming into the world, believe upon him and be the church of Jesus Christ. And so there's this great statement now in Isaiah of the coastlands, the Gentiles waiting for his law. And what is that law? What is that great command of the gospel? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. What a wonderful servant, victorious in all his work. And our calling is to behold this servant of the Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to behold him just now as we sing praise to God. Singing praise from Psalm 72. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful, wonderful things about the book of Psalms. As we sing them, we're thinking about Jesus Christ. And just now we're singing in Psalm 72 from the verses Mark 6 to 9. From sea to sea may he rule, from the river to the earth's end. May desert folk before him by, to dust his foes descend. Verse 7, notice it. May kings of Tarshish and the isles to him then tribute bring. And that's what's happening today as his gospel goes out through all the earth. Look at him in verse 9. He'll have compassion on the weak, this great king, and those in need who live. Psalm 72, 6 to 9. Let us praise God. From sea to sea may he rule, from the river to earth's end. May desert folk before him bow to dust his forces and make his Tarshish and the isles to him then tribute pay. May kings of Sheba, Sheba, to before him give May all kings down before him bow, may nations of him serve. For he then is to call the poor who no help He'll have compassion on the weak, and those in need to live, and to the souls of needy ones he will salvation give. Father in heaven, we thank you that your son is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we thank you for how gentle and tender he is. 
We thank you as the great Savior, able to save to the uttermost all we call on him. And we thank you in these days as mercy and grace is ringing out across this earth. And we pray, Father, that the coastlands will not only hear that his command to believe on him, hear it not only in their ear, but hear it in their heart. And that these days across the world will be days of great gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. We pray for grace to behold him. We pray for help as we would read his word day by day. As we sing these psalms in our homes, that we behold him in all his glory, ruling over all the nations of the earth, governing all the events of history, and gently and tenderly working in our lives. May we know his hands. We pray for our nation in these days. We pray for those who are in leadership in our nation, that you would give them wisdom even beyond their human ability. That's you would guide and lead them in ways that are best for the uh, unfolding of plans for our nation. We pray for those who have special responsibility of caring for those who are ill, caring for those who are dying. We ask, Lord, that you would give them grace and strength and pray that you might assist them in their work. We pray for the scientists that they might have helped, Lord, in developing a, a vaccine in these days. And we Pray also, Father, that you would give your people patience throughout the world, that we might wait upon the Lord, that we might be learning all that he desires, that we might be uh, discerning in these days about living for him, uh, that our lives would be changing more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, be with Christ's church, now and forever. Amen. Mm -hmm.